Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Today's October 21st, 2016. I'm Charlie Wright, and we're very pleased you've joined us and very happy to welcome for the very first time the esteemed Dr. Ben Hunt, Chief Investment Strategist at Salient. He's also the author of Epsilon Theory, a widely distributed newsletter from Salient. Dr. Ben Hunt, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie. It's great to be here. So, uh, Ben, Epsilon Theory has uh, over 100,000 subscribers in 180 different countries. It's full of commentary, quotes galore, cartoons about investments, politics, and social issues. Your personal background, you have a Ph.D. in government from Harvard. You taught poli-sci at uh, the tenured level at NYU and Southern Methodist University for 10 years. You authored two academic books, and then you founded two technology companies, and then you founded a software company, and then in 2003, if that was not enough, you came into the investment management world, became portfolio manager of a long-short equity hedge fund, and then since 2013, you've been at Salient, where you combine your experience as risk manager, entrepreneur, game theory, econometrics, in trying to make sense of the current marketplace with Epsilon Theory and in helping to manage the investments of Salient. So give us some direction here about how you got to where you are today. How did this happen? Well, as my wife says, I, I can't keep a job. That, that, is, that is my, uh, my, 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 core, my core problem, I think. No, I, I tell you, Charlie, I've, I've always had the entrepreneurial bug, uh, and that's, uh, a hard thing to square away with a with an academic career. I, I loved my time in academia because you can, uh, I find, really build your intellectual capital there. Uh, but it, this this entrepreneurial bug in me just kept uh, gnawing away. So uh, left the ivory tower uh, to uh, start a software company. Uh, we were able to, to do well with that. And what I found was that I, the, the part of that that I enjoyed, the puzzle, if you will, of, of that company was around the, uh, the financing of it, the, the venture capital and the, the, the growth capital and the like. So I, I gravitated into that for a few years, and I and found that, that public markets, the stock market, uh, was this this whole new area of puzzle solving and entrepreneurship that I could try to uh, uh, apply myself to? So uh, you know, as as you know, in this business or in any business, it's as much who you know as what you know. And I was fortunate enough to make some good connections, and uh, frankly, fortunate enough to come into investing. Uh, so started really public market investing in two thousand and five really coming into a period of time where it worked, it was useful to have a non-Wall Street, a different sort of view on markets. Uh, certainly that you know, started to bear fruit in 07. Uh, by 08, 
you know, if you came out of Wall Street, if you had been raised in that environment of buy, 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 and weren't looking at political catalysts, you weren't looking at the changes in technology and how that was impacting markets. It it really meant you couldn't look at the right thing. So I was I, I was fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time uh, for a for a career in investing in, in public markets. And since then, uh, I've really tried to combine that with my I call it first love of of game theory history. And, and trying to, to, to encourage people to see markets today through those lenses of politics, of technological impact on market structure. Because I, I think that, that those sort of um, perspectives, let's call them, are st- so important still. You know, they, they, we, we, we really are dealing with a different animal in markets today than we have since the 1930s. It's that policy-driven market, whether it's the Fed or whether it's uh, regulatory issues that are coming out or what's happening in Europe. But these are all policy-driven aspects that I think this sort of perspective, game theory, history, politics, it still pays dividends. And so that's what I try to do in my writing, and that's why I'm here today. You know, Ben, I'm going to quote from uh, your current uh, Epsilon Theory uh, newsletter. And for any of our listeners who have not (laughs) had the benefit of reading Epsilon Theory, uh, it is not a typical newsletter that says something is going up and something else is going down. Uh, So here's a quote. Over the last six years, all we've heard is a statist, top-down, Europeanish tinny song of the Federal Reserve that doesn't fit in the political culture of the United States. And that's why the central banking bubble is the most hated and mistrusted bull market in history. End of quote. Now, you obviously are one with opinions. And then you go on and you give extensive quotes from Ayn Rand, Karl Marx, lots of political cartoons, quotes from lots of other people, and plenty of commentary on political, social, and investment observations. So you can really tell you enjoy doing that Epsilon Theory. I do. I, I do indeed, Charlie. I, I, I tell you, when I was running my, my, my hedge fund, I'd wake up with a, a knot in my stomach at 3 a.m. because I'd have to go check how the, the European markets were, were, were opening. Nowadays, I, I can still pop up at 3 a.m., but it's with an idea to write and communicate. Uh, so so you're, you're, you're totally right. I, I, I love it. It's, it's, it's fulfilling in an, in an intrinsic way, uh, to, again, to combine these uh, perspectives of history, game theory, uh, with what's happening in markets today, because we've seen this before, Charlie. This, this, it, it, not in our investment lifetimes, but every time you have a world that's dominated by massive debt that you can't just grow out of, you have a massive global policy response to that debt. And you know, it happened in the 1870s. Last happened in the 1930s, and it's happening again today. So I do try to write from a different perspective. I find that that. What we have out there today, you've got the, I'll call it the pablum of the sell side, you know, the the, the, the analyst where, uh, gosh, as you say, it's, it's just the same thing over and over again. On the other side, you've got a fair share of, I'll call it the fringe, right, where 
you know, the sky is falling tomorrow, and it's a it's a more apocalyptic view of of, of how to think about markets. There's a vast area in between, and I think that's something that that, that your show. Uh, certainly goes after and something I try to write as well is try to not be pablum but also not be uh, apocalyptic uh, but but have that fresh and authentic perspective on what's happening in markets today. Well, no one could ever accuse you of not having opinions here, Ben. Well, thanks. So, so let's move on here to salient. Uh, give us a description of salient. Sure, I'll be brief. Uh, Salient uh, is an asset manager, uh, manages about about $15 billion in a range of uh, uh, mutual funds, 40-act mutual funds, and also uh, private funds. Uh, the firm started in Houston, really as a multifamily office, and that's still a significant portion of, of what we do. Uh, it's uh, high net worth families in the Texas, for sure, and then in the the, the Houston area, uh, particularly. Uh, over time, the the firm uh, first went into the fund of funds business, where they raised money and then allocated that to, to to other managers. That's how I got to know the firm initially. They were an investor in my my hedge fund back in oh six, seven, eight, and nine. They have over the last few years, however, brought many of these strategies in house. Uh, so that they're not putting money out with other managers, but have brought teams and strategies within Salient. And those are what we manage today within our, our mutual funds and our, our, our private funds. I'll tell you what we're trying to do is we're trying to take a different approach to this. What does that mean? It means that we are rigorous in saying we don't have a crystal ball. We're not trying to predict what's going to happen in the world or what sort of returns you're going to get from this asset class or that asset class or what have you. But we do think that there are, I'll call them, two big principles that you can think about uh, when, when, you're, when you're thinking about investments. And we try to set up, it sounds pejorative, I don't mean it this way, niche strategies that fall into one of these two, we, we think, important ideas about, about how to invest. The first, which I think will be very familiar to, to your audience, is the notion of, of real assets. Real assets, real yield, real cash flow, companies that are invested in, in real-world economic activities where management really returns that to shareholders. You know, kind of what what markets used to mean, right? And this can be anything from uh, since we're in Houston, of course, we're we're we have a, a major business around energy infrastructure. These are uh, pipelines, what they call uh, uh, the midstream market. If you're familiar with the, um, the 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 nomenclature, the terminology in the in in the energy world, uh, it also includes things like REITs, uh, particularly uh, uh, preferred securities in REITs. You know, we really try to carve out our little area within these real asset uh, uh, areas, and you know, we think we've put together teams that, it, well, they've done a really good job. So, so that's one of the big aspects that we work on. The, the other aspect we work on, what I'll, I'll describe this using a, a poker terminology, which is that you know, there's this old saying in poker that you don't just play the cards; you have to play the player. And I, I think that's so true today when we're thinking about 
public markets, when we think about the the, 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 the stock market today, because so much of the stock market is a game, and we have to understand how the players, whether it's other investors, whether it's the Federal Reserve or the ECB, how are they playing that game? And so we've got a series of strategies. They're not, they're not fundamentally driven strategies. I mean, we, you'll never hear us talking about, well, you know, we think you should buy Apple because blah, 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 right? What these strategies are, what I'll call a, a more top-down view, they're not saying that we've got some grand, fresh perspective on what's going to happen, no crystal ball. But we do think that there are, I'll call them behavioral aspects of markets that persist over time, that are real. We think that trend following is a thing. It's, it's, it's real. I mean, fear and greed, uh, that's, that, if there's nothing more eternal than that in markets, I don't know what it is. And so it's a series of strategies that we offer to try to help investors be better game players. So these tend to be systematic, more quantitatively oriented. Uh, so those are kind of our two buckets of strategies. That's what Salient does, and uh, we think we're pretty good at it. And uh, tell us here, uh, you know, we're involved in alternative uh, investments on this show. That's what we talk about. Um, do you guys invest in markets, or do you, are you bottoms-up stock pickers? Uh, and how are you guys alternative investment uh, strategists? So both of these uh, approaches that I'm talking about, we characterize as alternative investments. One is the, I'll go in reverse order here, the uh, systematic strategies, whether it's a, uh, it's typically known as a risk parity strategy. We don't call it that. We call it adaptive growth. But you hear that phrase risk parity used a lot. This is uh, uh, you know, Bridgewater has made this famous with their all-weather fund. Uh, AQR has got a, a prominent strategy around risk parity, and we do too. This is absolutely at the asset class level. What you're trying to do is you're trying not to keep your uh, dollars invested constant. You're thinking about, I want to keep my risk constant in markets. What does that mean? It means that I want to have this profoundly agnostic view of different geographies, different asset classes, whether it's equities, corporate bonds, government bonds, commodities, and I want to have a risk budget, a volatility budget for each of those different uh, asset classes. And that's what I want to monitor and react to and uh, really keep constant because we think it's the best way to harvest global beta. This is It's all beta. There's no alpha in this. It's all beta. It's the best way to harvest those sort of global betas. So our systematic strategy is whether it is this risk parity strategy, what we call adaptive growth, whether it's a trend-following strategy, uh, whether it's uh, other, uh, I'll say, um, what are called factor or alternative beta strategies. These are absolutely, uh, I think, easily characterized as alternative strategies. But I've got to tell you, the real asset strategies that we're talking about, I, these are bottoms-up strategies, right? These are, we have active managers who are picking stocks, whether it's a particular REIT, whether it is a particular uh, MLP or pipeline company. We absolutely believe in active management and stock picking. However, 
I think of these as alternative strategies as well. Why? Because what you'll never see us doing is... I I spoke pejoratively about Apple earlier, but, you know, these are not S&P 500 large caps, right? This This is not trying to apply some sort of fundamental analysis to companies like S&P 500 companies where you can't have a fundamental opinion that's going to matter or make a difference. We think that fundamental analysis still matters when you're talking about these, I'll call them these niche areas of the market where uh, information and research still matter. So we think of these as alternative strategies. We think that, 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 that both of these categories are important for any portfolio. Again, particularly in times like today where you've got so much in the overall market environment that's really been dr- driven by politics and policy. We think you can either be a better player or you can try to push away from the table and find areas where fundamental analysis still matters, like in these real asset strategies. Ben, hold that right there. We need to stop for a quick break. Again, we're talking with Dr. Ben Hunt of Salient. He's talking to us from their New York office. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. And now back to Charlie and his guest. Thank you, Paul. Again, we're talking with Dr. Ben Hunt of Salient out of uh, New York City. Uh, ben, uh, you you, uh, you know a lot about game theory. You know a lot about econometrics. What metrics do you think really matter in investing today? Well, I'll combine the two. I think that if, if you're looking at, at markets today, the most important thing to look at is what's happening to the dollar. Is the dollar going up or is the dollar going down? I will tell you that so much in public markets, whether we're talking about bonds, whether we're talking about stocks, is driven by what's happening to the dollar. That's the good indicator to look at. That's the metric I look at. Why? It goes back to your question about game theory, right? Because for since the summer of 2014, I'll stop for a second and tell you what happened in the summer of 2014. But since the summer of 2014, the big economies of the world, the U.S., Europe, China, Japan, we've really been competing with each other. We've been competing with each other on our monetary policies around interest rates, around support, how much the the central bank buys of stocks and bonds. And where that competition is reflected, just like in the 1930s, and I'll keep coming back to that phrase, is in currencies. So when I when I think about the game that's being played by nations, 
and we can talk about the game theory of that and what I expect to happen down the down the down the road. The metric, the thing you look at to see the result of that game playing, is what's happening with the dollar. And if you see what's happening with the dollar, you can get a sense of what's going to happen with commodities, with industrials, with energy, with transportation, uh, with emerging markets. There are vast swaths of the market today that are really being driven by this monetary policy competition, this game playing, as reflected in what's happening to the dollar. That's what I look at first and foremost these days. Hey, well, thank you very much for that input. That's not the kind of input we typically get uh, from our guests, <laughs> and uh, and and we appreciate it. And uh, you know, it, it, you know, there are lots of things to look at out there, and uh, we appreciate your input on the dollar. So, Ben, one of the questions we like to ask all of our guests is, what keeps you awake at night? I tell you, what keeps me awake at night, and and it's, I, I think a lot of people are probably kept awake these days by by the U.S. election. I because I've had this 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 political bent or or because i tend to see markets through these lenses of history and politics i've i've frankly i've always been kept up at night by 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 politics and what's going to happen with elections uh non-electoral changes in politics and i say this because Politics can change the fundamental rules of the markets. What keeps me awake about markets is when I worry that a fundamental correlation, some bedrock relationship that we've always thought existed, what keeps me awake is the fear that one of those cornerstone correlations is going to change. What changes those correlations is when politicians change the rules. When they change the rules about property ownership, when they change the rules about taxation, when they change the rule about the role of central banks or other policy bodies uh, in their relationship with markets, this is what's always kept me awake. And I know that a lot of people are thinking about the U.S. election. Of course, I'm as despairing about the U.S. election as, as, as anyone else on both sides. Uh, but I got to tell you, the, the election I'm more concerned about, even than the U.S. election, is the vote that's going to happen in Italy in the in, in the first week of December. I, I actually think that has a better chance of upending one of these core correlations of markets than the U.S. election today. You know, Ben, I, I was just going to ask you that because uh, I have heard more than once uh, other people who uh, have their ear to the ground on these kinds of things that that election in Italy, because of their banking uh, issues, is exceptionally important. It really is. It really is, Charlie. Because look, here's, here's what's going on beneath the surface. You know, I was talking about the game playing and the competition between countries. What is coming to a head in Italy in that first week in December is a game of chicken between Italy and Germany. A game of chicken between Italy and Germany. And we're all familiar with that game of chicken, right? It's, you know, if you're familiar with the movie Footloose, right? It's Kevin Bacon driving, you know, his pickup truck against the tractor. Or, you know, we're, we're all familiar with these games of chicken. Yeah. Well, the game of chicken here is who's going to pay for the very weak European banks. And in particular, who's going to pay to recapitalize the Italian banks? I, it, 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 it's a 
it's not as familiar a story, I think, to U.S. investors because you know we we certainly had the the epicenter of the '08 financial crisis here in the U.S. and that epicenter was was in U.S. banks and the catalyst or the problem was in our our mortgage-backed securities. Right. They were they were held by our banks. Well. You know, the, 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 the center of that earthquake was here in the U.S., and we took a lot of steps to, to, to address that. I, I think that not just between TARP, but between some other government programs, uh, temporary liquidity guarantee program and others, you really saw the U.S. banks uh, recapitalized. Uh, you saw them made stronger uh, than, than anything that ever happened in the, the, the European system. Uh, the Europeans never recapitalized their banks uh, like like we did, and moreover, their banks are supported; they are funded in a very different way than U.S. banks. U.S. banks get their funding not their not the, the the cash they use to make loans; they get that from primarily deposits. Right. from customer deposits. And that's not the way that European banks work. They fund themselves much more like um, our investment banks used to fund themselves, you know, like Bear Stearns or, or Lehman Brothers. The funding, the source of funds they use then to make loans is from securitizations. They sell stuff. Right? So it's, it's a less stable funding base than uh, U.S banks have. And it's a problem they've never rectified. It's a structural problem. It goes back again to the 1930s. And that's why this this crucial notion of, well, how are we going to bail out the European banks is at the the core of all of these political issues that are are bubbling up right now in Europe. You know, Ben, uh, we'll see in the next, uh, like you say, the next uh, few months, uh, how that uh, turns out. Uh, Absolutely. And, and, and we, we should all be staying awake at night over that. Second question, Ben, we'd like to ask all of our uh, uh, our guests is, what book on investing would you recommend to our listeners? Well, I'll, 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 give, you, I'll give you two if I can. All right? yeah, so, not a problem. So, Nassim Taleb's books on Fooled by Randomness in particular, but, but all of his work, uh, I find so valuable in, in, in helping us make sense of the role of chance and probabilities in markets. Because, you know, we, we, we get fooled by randomness, by probabilities all the time because we're, you know, we're a human animal. We're, we're, we're designed to try to find patterns in the world. And where I find these books so helpful, particularly the one Fooled by Randomness, is that we, because we're this, this, this human animal that survived for millions of years, evolved for millions of years to do this, we identify patterns. We think we find patterns, even though the patterns aren't really there. We put too much faith in the patterns or the ideas that, that, that we think we've identified when actually a lot of this can just be explained just by randomness, just by sheer chance. Yeah. So I, I find that book to be such a healthy corrective, again, thinking about the behavioral um, uh, aspects of, of, of finance. Yeah, I read his book, of The Black Swan. And, uh, yeah, 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 The Black Swan. This other one, Fooled by Randomness, yeah, yeah. Is, is very much in the Many same, of the same ideas. Of and read. You just need to have a good dictionary nearby. 
<laughs> that's true. That's true. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it's worth the effort, I think. Yeah, I think that the other book I want to recommend is a history book. And it's called The, uh, the Lords of Finance. Uh, and the, the Lords of Finance is about central bankers in what's called the interwar period between World War I and World War II. It's amazing, right? Because you, 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 we lionize our central bankers today, right? They, 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 they are, in a sense, kind of put on a pedestal, and we, we hang on every word. When you read the history of the, the last time that central bankers had to wrestle again with the global debt like we have today, it, I, I love history because you're right, they're just people. They're just people just like, just like you and me with their same foibles and same mistakes and same you know, uh, genius sometimes, rarely, unfortunately. <laughs> They're just people. And it's this, this wonderful history book that I, I, it, it reads so well uh, because like today, you know, what was happening in the world of finance and, and, and monetary policy, well, the it, it, it reads like a spy novel sometimes, right? But it's called The Lords of Finance, uh, and um, it, it's just a, a wonderful book to, again, give you some perspective on how to think about the market environment that we're struggling through today. Yeah. Ben, thank you very much. That's a book that no one else has recommended, and uh, we appreciate it. So give us, uh, for those who want to know more, give us your website. So it's, it's, it's pretty easy. You can go to uh, salientpartners.com. That's the firm. And the piece I write, uh, which you were kind enough to mention earlier, and it's totally free and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's different, I, I think, fair to say, is epsilontheory.com. Now, so why epsilon theory? It, it, it goes back to modern portfolio theory where we talk about alpha and beta there's actually a third Greek letter in that formula of modern portfolio theory. It's actually alpha plus beta plus epsilon, E for error. And the, the point of what I write about is that it's not error. There is more to investment. There is this behavioral aspect. There's the game theory aspect. There's the historical aspect. It's treated as error in the overly scientificized and econometricized investments that you get out of academia today, where it's alpha and beta. But E, epsilon, it's not error there is actually, I think, really useful information we can find there. So that's why I call it Epsilon Theory, and it's what I write is at EpsilonTheory.com. Okay, and again, I, I can highly recommend that, and, uh, you know, the, the, the price is tough to beat here. So <laughs> final words for our listeners here, Ben. Final words are that we are in a policy-driven market. I think we all feel that. And my, 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 my words would be, it doesn't get better on its own. Uh, when the global trade pie starts to shrink, as it is today, and last happened, again, in the 1930s, policy responses grow more invasive, not less, because countries are now struggling with trying to protect their sh slice of a shrinking pie, and they will do more and more and more. So my, 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 my final words are we can't just 
or I don't think one can really effectively wait this out. I think you have to find some new ideas, some fresh perspectives. I think that's where alternative strategies can really play an important role in anyone's portfolio. And it's why I think programs like yours do uh, do such a service for everyone, Charlie. Ben, thank you very much. We appreciate it. And uh, finding those alternative investments, that's certainly what uh, we're all about. So, Ben, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Charlie. Again, we've been talking with Dr. Ben Hunt, Chief Investment Strategist at Salient, speaking to us from New York. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science.